Okay, welcome to the latest United podcast. And as you can see there, Larry is smiling and is alive for those playing at home who are asking where he has been. Um, Larry, you haven't been flouting um, COVID restrictions. You have been staying at home, I take it? Oh, yeah, I've been staying at home, buried in my laptop. I, I'm keen to get buried into the ground if I keep going the way I'm going. But no, um, no all jokes aside, sorry, I didn't mean to be so grim. Hi, Tom. You know what, lads? I've got my glass of red wine. Ooh. Cheers to both of you. Wait, is that Cheers. a play on? Is that a play on things? Well, I've got nothing. I've got a bottle of water. But um, is that are you taking Stralix Ferguson side of things, like Stralix Ferguson with the red wine? If we've got to be a discussion about Roy Keane, Keno likes a red wine himself. Tom, you need to do your homework. He likes a few red wines, I think. But we will go on to Josh, and Josh is wearing the. I don't know who you've got on the back, but that is the Roy Keane shirt. I do have. Obviously, I'm wearing my Irish shirt in um, memory of not in memory of Roy Keane, but um. That is the Roy Keane shirt I have, my United one. Um, no one on the back of that shirt? It's, uh, it's actually got David Beckham on the back of it. It's the last, uh, you it know, is a good one of the last seasons. He, uh, yeah, you loved the long, long sleeve kid, didn't he, Beckham? Yeah. He did. But what we'll do, we've done this podcast before. This will be our first one on YouTube, though. Look, we are sick. Look, I'll mention the names now, Rafael Varane and Jaden Sancho. While it is good to talk about that stuff, we just do get a little bit sick. It does get a little bit tedious and boring. So we will reminisce sort of about some better times. Um, obviously, Roy Keane was obviously the captain during our most successful period, um, or one of the most successful periods. So we'll just remember better times. Obviously, my favourite player of all time. Um, Larry, a little bit sort of overlapped a little bit before his time, but also caught the tail end of his career as well. So it'll be good. I, I could talk about Roy Keane for hours. So tune in. Um, if you are in the live comments, drop comments in, and we'll throw them up on the screen, and we'll debate them if you've got any questions, etc. But pretty much what we do in these podcasts, we just sort of look back at their career almost in a chronolo chronological order, um, sort of how they arrived, any controversies, the ups, downs, how they left and what they're currently doing now. And I think Roy Keane's story is still sort of present now because he's so sort of prevalent in the in the media and Sky Sports and he's almost had a sort of second stage of his career, which is great to see. He's obviously very good um, value with Mika Richards. Um, they're sort of on, on fire throughout the Euros. But we'll start on his time at United. Um, we've just got here the appearances and goals. He made 480 appearances, scoring 51 goals for United. I thought it was 50. I remember he scored his 50th against Birmingham. He was on. He waited for like a year to score that 50th goal, and it finally happened against Birmingham. I forget who his 51st goal was against. But he also won seven league titles, four FA Cups, and one European Cup. Now, not often you see four FA Cups. Like There's so many great English players who you always go back through the records and like they never win the FA Cup or it took Wayne Rooney and Michael Carrick until that last season to win an FA Cup. But you look there, Roy Keane has four of them. So it's no stranger to a trip to Wembley. Actually, one of them was at Millennium Stadium, wasn't it, Josh? Um, the Millwall FA Cup final. Yes, yes. But what we'll do, um, first of all, I'll just go to Larry first because I've missed you, Larry. I've missed you. You've been away for a couple of days. Um, just when I mentioned Roy Keane, Roy Keane to you, what is he? Uh, tenacious competitor. That, that's what comes into my mind. And I, I want to say I'm very conscious of using that correct language because he, he's a competitor and he's a leader. And I think that's the right way to represent him. What I'm very conscious of in, in answering your question, Tom, is what not to call him. The term that gets thrown around is enforcer, thug. And that's what I'm conscious of not referring to him because he was such a good bloody fine footballer. Like, yeah, he was a leader and he was a leader first and foremost. And you know what? You want to talk about a dying art in football, man, what Roy Keane did. Like, can you just imagine being in the sheds next to him? 
he just li- you you'll feel you feel your head's an extra six inches higher. He just fills you with that confidence. There's no, you know, you think about modern football. I can't think of a, a current player like that. Sergio Ramos is probably the most like for like I can think of from a personality perspective, and still even he probably just falls that gap short. When I think Roy Keane, I think leader. What a player he was. But I think the greatest compliment is what he did for those around him. Well, just there, hustle and no filter says our club lacks a leader like Roy Keane now, and it's a big discussion always around. Could we do with one? Who's our leader? Is Harry Maguire? Okay, he's our captain, but it sort of sort of fades in comparison to what Roy Keane obviously brought at the time. But I'll just go to Josh there, just in regards to what Larry was saying. He said it's very, and he's correcting what he's saying, but it's very easy to say he was an enforcer or he was just a great captain. I mean, he shouted a lot. So many people forget what a fine footballer he was. I always go back and we'll get into that Turin performance in a little bit. But you look at that Turin performance in 1999, he gets man of the match and everyone praises that performance and rightly so. But you look at the players on the pitch and especially in regards to the opposition, you've got Antonio Conte was a fine player, Edgar Davids, Didier Deschamps, Zinedine Zidane, and Roy Keane was man of the match. Now, regardless of what you think of a player, if you're the best player on that field with that type of opposition against you, you have to be bloody good at football. Sorry, so I just lost you in that last bit there. What do you say? The question? I'm just, well, just in comparison, you see all the Juventus players and the quality of players they had in that 1999 semi-final. And Roy Keane is the best player on the pitch in that game. Okay, it's great throwing those terms around that he's an enforcer, he's a leader and a captain. But it goes to show what an actual fine footballer he was. It kind of gets missed in the argument when you're discussing Roy Keane. I think, yeah, and following on from what Larry says, in, in terms of me, when I think of Roy Keane, I just think of disciplined now, I know a lot of people will say, yeah, he, he lost his discipline at time. You look at the tackle at like, Haaland. I think he was disciplined in the way he led the team. He was a proper leader. And it's it's probably someone that my age group growing up at school, especially in the 90s and the, the early noughties, it's someone we wanted to emulate, like not just playing sport, but just in life as well, to have that sort of like leadership lifestyle. Um, and I've got nothing but like fun memories of Keto. Like, I just look back with a smile and it just brings so much nostalgia thinking back of um, my childhood in the 90s and the way he, he led and the way, like, me, my friends, United fans wanted to be, like, it was it was amazing. Well, I think that's why he's sort of suddenly became my favourite player. Like, the first player I remember in terms of being my favourite player was probably Ryan Giggs. He's the first one on my shirt. The first shirt I got sent over was Ryan Giggs. Obviously, Eric Cantona was the main man sort of thing. But then when I started to sort of really invest myself in United, I was thinking, well, hang on, this guy's the guy in midfield. He's the one everyone sort of pointed to. He's the captain sort of thing. Why is everyone looking at him? Like, what makes him so special? And he isn't a player who he didn't stand out like Cantona or Giggs or David Beckham, etc. Then I was really curious as to why is this guy sort of talked about as being the best player. So that's why all of a sudden when I tried to really sort of invest my time in supporting United, you do look at players like Roy Keane. And um, it's why he really was my favourite player for everything you've just said there in terms of the discipline, the leadership. But we'll go into why, well, not why he signed for United. It was actually sort of interest, interesting sort of story how he came about signing for United. He's obviously very close to Blackburn and Kenny Dalgleish gave him a handshake and was ready to sign. And the, obviously the offices were closed over the weekend and um, Sir Alex Ferguson got wind of it and sort of hijacked the deal. Um, it'll be fascinating to see that on play, sort of play out on Twitter these days in the modern game. But... Um, the main reason I want to bring up the signing is these figures are scary. He came for a British transfer record. First of all, could you imagine United signing someone from Nottingham Forest now? 
it'd be unheard of. Like it would be like the Dan James sign. Everyone think, well, what are you going to sign in a player from there for? But we have signed a player from Nottingham Forest for a British transfer record of a three. I think it was three point seven million or three point seven five million pound. Which again, okay, you're taking a consideration consideration inflation, but now you're looking at signings. What what would three million get you now? It, it, w- it wouldn't get you an academy player. If you wanted to get an academy player from South America, you'd cost you more than three and a half million. Uh, that's just simply what it would cost. And I understand the, the context of the inflation and everything. But Larry, just obviously you sort of weren't supporting United at the time, just down to simply your age. But could you sort of rewind and have a sort of memory of what it would have been like for Roy Keane signing a British transfer record, like what that is for United now, that pressure mm. of coming into a change room? You know what? I think for a modern footballer, it'd be a lot of pressure. I think for Roy Keane, it wouldn't have meant too much. And I think this talks to the evolution of not just footballers, but society as a whole. Um, Roy Keane is so easy to love. And obviously, we haven't had anyone who's 14 to 16 in that age group in the, on this podcast. But I'd be really keen to see, uh, no pun intended there, uh, to see what, what what is their thought process around a player like Roy Keane? Do they get inspired? Is that someone that they look at and think... That's someone who I would want to be like as a man, as a footballer. I don't think it would have been a lot of pressure for Roy King. You look at the way he spoke. Reading his book was marvelous, by the way. One of my favorite autobiographies, um, the second one. Um, if you haven't, um, don't have it in front of me. But if you get a chance, go get it. But I, I don't think it wasn't pressure for him. You know, he was just someone who wasn't phasing. We also got to. I guess it's really important to remember not just thinking who was he coming into a place. He was almost seen as the heir to Brian Robson. Bloody well, hell, that was my, yeah, well, just on that, that was my next point I was going to throw to Josh. Just yeah. in regards to um, you look at when we see a new player come into Manchester United, we, we sort of afford them a little bit of time. We say you have to be patient. You can't expect too much from them. But if you go back and actually look what Roy Keane did, he does displace in terms of that. Obviously, Brian Robson was at the end of his career, but still it's no mean feat to come in and he almost displaced that partnership of um Paul Ince and Brian Robson. He obviously took Brian Robson's place and forced himself into that 94 team, that 93-94 team that did the double, obviously, a famous FA Cup win. And that FA Cup win against Chelsea, the 4-0 win where Cantona scored the two goals, that was really my first sort of vivid memory of Man United. I remember it was my first Man United kit. It was Man United at Wembley. It was just, I don't remember the actual game, but I remember the red team versus the blue team and I was supposed to support the red team because it was Man United. And I do remember little things about that. Roy Keane had a goatee at the time and just little things did stand out. But does that just go to show, again, not just the quality of the person and the leader and the captain, but the actual footballer to come into a dressing room and displace the midfield of Paul Lintz and Brian Robson? I think so. I think it says a lot about his character, but he also had a very good reputation as well. I mean, if you look at his stats for Forrest, he probably scored two-fifths of his career goals at Nottingham Forest and he was only there for three years. He was a midfielder that was a goal scorer. And, you know, to win titles, we always say you need a prolific, you need a prolific 20, 30 goal season striker. But if not, you need an all-round team that's going to get your goals where your midfield is contributing. And I think that's one of the purposes or reasons why he was brought to the team is that he could potentially get you 10 goals a season. Now, he only actually reached 10 goals a season, I think 10 plus 10 goals a season on one occasion. But he still contributed in other ways. His assists, he's a box-to-box midfielder. He lived up to his worth, and clear to see that the pressure didn't get to him because he was made captain what two years after signing. Yeah, well, there obviously when Eric Cantona left, Roy Keane took it over. Um, obviously, the number sixteen shirt, which we'll discuss him um, on yesterday's podcast, and it could actually go to Jaden Sancho. 
But just on that, in terms of the leadership, Larry, I'll go to you in terms of whenever you have a discussion about Roy Keane, it's about what a great captain he was and the greatest Premier League captain, which I fully agree with. But what, what is it, do you think, that made him the best captain? Because, okay, well, why doesn't Harry Maguire just captain like um, Roy Keane? Why didn't Vidic just captain like Roy Keane sort of thing? And one of the, before I get your opinion, in my eyes, because Keane has obviously asked this, every interview he gets asked, is why were you such a good captain? And Roy Keane always comes back and talks about, well, nothing fancy. I just wanted to be the best player. If I tried to be the best player, that was the best way I could possibly lead. Yes, a lot of people see the shouting and the screaming, but I just tried to be the best player on the field. And if I was the best player on the field, that would help the team, which would then for sort of sort of show a good captain's performance. But just your opinion on him as a captain? I think it's just the accountability piece. Um, I think it's with, with modern captains, you, you look at it, it seems to be a trophy almost that's handed out to players based on longevity at a football club. Roy Keane came in and he was essentially handed it you know, in not too long. And, and he, sh- he was a captain, not without, like, he was just one of those players where we look at a, a current United side, people have that argument of, oh, give Bruno the armband. But Bruno's not fit to be a captain because of the way he plays. Roy Keane was such a good captain because, well, it was, it was kind of twofold. His ability and what he produced on the pitch was basically error-free. So he was holding players to an account. You could look at him and say, ah, oh, you know what? That's a player I want to be like. And because he was so good on the pitch, he will, and then you add into his personality factor. Because he did want to be the best, he also expected the same from his teammates. You knew if you were going to make a mistake, he's going to have his hands on your throat, physically and metaphorically speaking. He said it. It's funny. It sticks out in his punditry. He mentioned that um, – you just think back to Petergate. Look at the way he was blowing up in that, in, in that tunnel, defending his teammates, putting the fear into Vieira. Vieira, he has said, he's the most fierce competitor he's ever come up against. And Vieira's a beast of a man himself. Roy, Roy Keane never took a step back. You could go into war with Roy Keane, um, metaphorically speaking, of course. He never backed down from a challenge. And I think you look at the likes of Harry Maguire, you know, it, look, we don't know what he's like behind the pitch, but if we're just trying to compare that, I guess, a comparison, a very relaxed approach, he says things like, you know, I've got areas of my game I still need to improve. You never heard words like that from Roy Keane. It was all, all about driving a standard of being 110%. And I think while it's so simple to say, that type of personality, it's very hard to come across, I think. Following on from what Larry, Larry says, like, and make shot Larry, but I agree with him completely. Um, rarely ever happens, but I do. But, um, oh, thank you so he, much. Yeah, but he's... The, the, Roy Keane as a captain now just wouldn't work because a modern day footballer is is different and can't adapt to his style of leadership and i don't think keen can adapt to their style of wanting to be led it's a different game now you it, that sort of leadership probably would work in league one league two where the ego of a player isn't as is, isn't what is in the premier league it's a different game and you're managing different types of players that come from different backgrounds with United, there, with United back in the 90s, going into the North, they had a team that had the mentality of winning. Every training every training session was like a, a cup final. You wanted to be the best every time. And to have that mentality going into the to going into that team and instilling that across the team, if you're a new transfer, it's very easy to get found out very quickly. Whereas now, you can be, you can be at a cup about one or two years and get found out without having the leadership. 
Tom, can I said. ask you, like, this is obviously your favourite player, so I think let's try and bring you in. Um, how do you think a Roy Keane would fit in, like, if you're putting him into this United side right now? We know yeah. what he brings in terms of on the pitch. I, I think United win the Premiership if you put him in that sixth position. But how do you think his personality would rub off against the likes of Anthony Martial, Paul Pogba, Marcus Rashford, Bruno Fernandes? How would his personality gel with those sorts of players? Do you think it would cause United to go to that next level? Or do you think they might actually treat him as a bit of an outcast? Well, you just read my mind, both of you. I was going to, when you started mentioning sort of the current team, Bruno Fernandes and how he'd fit in, I was thinking, I was saying, yeah, he'd fit in perfectly. But then Josh made the point saying, well, his, his, his style of captaincy wouldn't fit the current mould. I'm just thinking there, if you do refer it to the players, okay, the footballer, yes, throw him in number six. Okay, Keen, I think, had far more to his game, which we'll get into in a little bit, far more to his game in an attacking sense than just to sit in midfield. But let's say you've got a 30-year-old Roy Keane. Yeah, sitting in number six behind Pogba and Bruno. Fantastic. But from that personal point of view and sort of his, um, the mentality, dealing with players, especially like Anthony Martial and Paul Pogba, like when you first think of that as an idea, you think, what a disaster. However, the example I always go back to, the, the surprising one with Roy Keane, is the play in world football and also at his time United he speaks the most fondly of is Cristiano Ronaldo. And could you imagine a young Cristiano Ronaldo when he came into the United dressing room, just imagine the personality clash from the young 18-year-old Portuguese Ronaldo to Roy Keane. You just think two different personalities. You just think if someone Roy Keane's not going to like on the training ground, it's Ronaldo. However, the one person Roy Keane always speaks about since the moment he walked through the door to still now when he does his punditry, he still backs him to the hill. No matter what Ronaldo does, he will back him. He has such a great respect for him. So, And obviously Ronaldo does have that, I don't hate to use the term, but he does have an elite mentality. It'll be interesting to see how Roy Keane would deal with, a, let's say, an Anthony Martial who's that kind of reserved character, character needs sort of that arm around the shoulder. In regards to the other players, so yeah, Martial, I'm not sure it would work, but it would be an interesting one with Pogba because he's obviously so critical of Pogba in the media. But does Pogba need, he might need something like that to really get the best out of Pogba. We don't know from, obviously, from a footballing point of view, it would work. From a mental thing, I'm not quite sure. Bruno Fernandes, I'd actually think Pogba would work better with Keane than Keane would work with Bruno Fernandes, if that makes sense. I think think Bruno would absolutely... Piss Roy Keane off to... He'd kill him. I, 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 like, I don't think that would work before. In terms yeah. of some of the shots Once the turnover happens, he'll have his hand on his throat. Well, well and, um, one of the biggest moments of Roy Keane's career was obviously in 98 the, or the 97-98 season with um, the Haaland injury where Roy Keane has gone to lash out at Haaland, missed him, and Roy Keane unfortunately does his ACL. Haaland stands over him, has a bit of a thing to say. Keane obviously remembers it then meets him a few years later at Old Trafford when Haaland was obviously at Manchester City. And we all know the tackle, um, good, bad or ugly. Um, we all know what happened and sort of the fallout from it. But Josh, just going back, because look, I love Roy Keane. He can do no wrong. And I look back at, at that tackle and United fans, we do sort of glorify and celebrate that tackle a little bit. And football banter, and quite, quite rightly so, I will. I've, I've no doubt I've posted photos of it and say, what a tackle, Roy Keane, captain, leader, legend. But you do have to look back at it, and it is active thuggery. It was premeditated. Roy Keane has often made the point, which was, what, again, why I sort of looked up to him so much and I had a similar mentality. I never went out to injure players on the football, p- on the football pitch, but like Roy Keane, I often every single game went to hurt players. If the tackle was there where I could hurt a player, I would definitely try. It's a different mentality. I don't want to injure them, but I would leave a mark on them and actually hurt them. 
job done. And that's what Roy Keane was saying as well. However, this instance with Haaland was about injuring him. And it was a it was a shocking tackle. Just your thoughts and sort of memories of that incident? Well, I was I'm trying to think. I was probably only about just over under probably about eleven years old. No, probably ten years old at the time. I remember the game. I actually do remember the game. We were one nil in that game. I think Beckham one scored. Draw. It was one all. Yeah, it was it was a it was the second game of that season. It was the away leg, yeah. Um one all and I remember like the outcry from it. I remember like the outcry at school with like City fans just like losing their minds, losing their minds saying it was like fuckery because we used to get one back at them and we used to say something like, oh, like Jerry Barton did this, Jerry Barton did that. And that was, that was always used to be the counter argument with them. Um, what I will say is if you, he's, he's quite lucky he made that tackle then as opposed to probably now. Oh. So you do something like that now with VAR and you'd probably about 24 different camera angles to it. You think of the reaction, well, and I think what, that's what why he's. Mean? I think that's why he's less critical now when he says, "You know what?" Because he, he never regrets it, and people yeah. ask him in so many interviews, "You regret that?" And he'll always stand by it because one thing about Keto is he's consistent. He doesn't contradict himself. He doesn't you know go against his beliefs? He'll always stand by something, and because he said that, he's not going to go back on it. Well, he's definitely well. He got he obviously got the initial fine for the red card and the sort of the usual suspension sort of thing, and he did get a fine. I think just a, a minimal fine. But then when his book came out a few years later and he sort of confirmed that it was premeditated, he then got sort of sued for it. He got I think it was a three hundred thousand dollar three hundred thousand pound fine or one hundred fifty thousand pound fine. I forget what it was, and a further five game suspension a few years later for bringing yeah, the game in addition Yeah, because he uh, he, he elbowed. Um... What was that Liverpool um, player called? McAteer. Uh, Jason McAteer. He was playing for Sunderland, yeah. And he um, yeah. he said something. He said something about that, and he mentioned Harland that he got a further five games. Crazy. Yeah, no, it would be fascinating that happening today. You can imagine the fallout. But I just go to Larry there because in terms of Harland, he's almost a famous name now. It's obviously the different Harland. Obviously, everyone's talking about Erling Harland, <laughs> but this Harland, well, he's his agent and he's working with Rayola. But I'm just thinking. I'm not sure if you know. I'm sure we've discussed it. But this is a huge myth. And again, it's part of United fans that are almost glorifying that tackle, unfortunately or fortunately, who knows. But this is a big myth that Roy Keane went and ended this guy's career. If you do go look at it, Harlan didn't even get substituted. He continued on in the game, which is crazy when you look at the tackle that he didn't actually get substituted. He carried on the game. He finished the game. He played the next week. I think he played the next week for Norway. Now, eventually he did retire through a knee injury, but it was the other knee. This tackle, crazily, didn't actually injure him at all. So just um, your sort of lasting memories of sort of Roy Keane in that moment, because it is an iconic image of Roy Keane. You know what, Tom? Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. It is a good story. It is a good story. <laughs> That's it. You know what? <clears throat> I think it's just one of those things that you just have to look back. And even Roy Keane, it's part of, the, it's part of his story. It, it's part of what made Roy Keane the captain and the leader he was. There, there, ha- there was this moment of madness, but you know what? The best players have a moment of madness in them. I think we all yeah. sit here and we revel in Eric Cantona's kick into that Crystal Palace's fan's chest. Th- there is a little bit of poetry in a footballer who's just a little bit unhinged. And I think you need one of those in your football team at all times, just because if, you, if everyone's just a vanilla person, like imagine a team full of Michael Owens. You wouldn't win a thing. You know what I mean? Like, you need to have a little bit of character about you. And 
Look, Roy Keane, and he says in his book, he's like, he admits, look, I went out I went out there to hurt him. I never went out with the intention of giving the guy a serious injury. I, I truthfully do believe that. But I think in Roy Keane's head, he's like, I just want to kick this guy. He never thought I'm going to kick him mm. to rupture his ACL. I don't think that yeah. went to his head. I think it's just a, I want to kick him. He played on a fine line, but you know what? That fine line is the difference between a player daring to run at him or having a, oh, you know what? Actually, I'm going to play with him myself and pass it back. So, got all the time in the world for that. And look, Roy Keane doesn't have to look at, back on his career with any regrets. He won it all. Well, that is probably the bad part of his career. Well, not the bad part, but the, if you're doing pros and cons, that's probably the cons part of the career in terms of the negatives. But we will go on to the positives. And probably the big positive that always gets sort of thrown about. And we do remember sort of these iconic moments and iconic goals. And if you are watching live, uh, let us know in the comments your sort of favourite Roy Keane moment. We'll put it up on the screen and maybe discuss it if it is different to ours. But I just go to Josh, the main one that always gets thrown about. And I think not lazily because it is. I've gone back and I've watched the match uh, maybe twice a year, the semi-final in Turin against Juventus, which I mentioned at the start of the podcast. You just have to look at the players in that Juventus team. And for Roy Keane to be the best player on the pitch just goes to show what a great footballer he was. But that night in Turin, it's one the Harlan tackle has always stuck with Roy Keane. That's part of his story. But that performance in Turin, add on top of the yellow card missing the Champions League final, is just another part of the story. Just your sort of memories when you hear that and see that performance. Just probably epitomise everything I said at the start of this this podcast. You know, you look at the commentary of that game. Keane, we're two 0 down. Keane gets booked. Two one. Captain's goal is the commentary. And that just sums it up. It's a captain's goal, captain's performance, literally leading a team from probably the brinks of getting knocked out of the semi-finals and not getting a treble to to leading them to, you know, eventually going to Barcelona. It was a fantastic, fantastic team performance that game. I remember I was at a home game where we drew one all. Now I remember we got we got battered. I remember at that game thinking, oh, we're like we were one nil down. I remember saying it's to my dad, really I was like yeah, I was like, I just don't think we're. I think this is, we're not going to win. And obviously, as a, you know, an eight-year-old kid, that's quite upsetting. Like when you like to lose a game, it's a big thing. Didn't lose many. You didn't lose many games that season. I don't think we lost a game after December um, hmm. that season. And just that game, the quality of the team, and then to the quality of their team. Sorry, and to lead a performance like that into your in, it's just phenomenal. And it'll go down as one of my favourite performances. And when he gets booked. He has obviously a chance to rectify that two years later when we get knocked out to uh, Leverkusen and he scores the goal yeah. that takes us 3-2 up. And then obviously we get knocked out. Derbatov was in that Leverkusen side. Yeah. But um, just on that, Larry, in terms of the not – we'll get into his relationship with Sir Alex Ferguson in a little bit. But we all sort of, again, use that word glorify and celebrate that performance by Roy Keane. When Sir Alex Ferguson mentioned it, and Sir Alex Ferguson was only mentioning it in a praiseworthy way, there was no dig or anything, anything but Sir Alex Ferguson come out and said it was a great performance. I was proud to be um, his manager at the time. And Roy Keane has used that as an opportunity to bite back and say, I'm kind of I'm disappointed with that comment. What does he expect of me? Of course I'm going to cover every blade of grass. Of course I'm going to try everything. Just because i got a yellow card doesn't change anything. I was still going to give my all. And he kind of he doesn't shy, he doesn't shy away from that performance to praise but he kind of downplays it. Do you think Roy Keane is just playing, I wouldn't say up to his character and a good sort of PR game of sort of downplaying it? Or do you think Roy Keane is just genuine and just saying, no, it's just a normal performance. It's a shame I missed the final, but there's nothing special about it. I think that's just, 
It's it's a really weird one, and Roy Keane has openly said he, he believes that without getting into the Sir Alex Roy Keane narrative too much, I find that they're very similar characters. Sir Alex Ferguson never put much out in the public, and I think the way that that Roy Keane message came across was more of one of you could see that there was a bit of saltiness about it to him. He, he obviously wasn't happy with the comment. He, he might have felt there was a an undertone of a, a bit of sarcasm or a dig. Um, but in saying that, I, I think he, like Roy Keane knows, he, you know, every time he plays, we, we touched on it at the start of this podcast. When he went out there, he, every performance was an 8 out of 10. But I, for my, like, th- that has to be the best Roy Keane performance I think I've ever seen. Like, I've gone back to watch the game, obviously, and... What he did, and you, again, you got to talk about the side that we were against at the time. Like, that's the best side in the world, undoubtedly. You look on paper, that's the best side in the world. The goal and the nature of his performance. Now, there's this argument that, that is out there, and I'm sure you've both seen it as well, that says he only put in that performance because he knew he was getting suspended. What a load of garbage that is. Yeah. No, it, it makes no sense when you think about it. How does that actually make him play better like whatever it does mentally it can't it can't actually improve the performance the the only sort of contribution it can have is a negative one i don't think there's ever been a semi-final performance like that at all ever i don't think there'll ever be a semi-final performance like that you look at the chelsea game with john terry like he got sent off twice european semi-finals yeah, we're What's going a on to the saying final? that you hear amongst, like, when, when we're talking about midfielders, in whether it was in that time or now, we always hear this term of a midfielder needs to grab a game by the scruff of the neck. It's the most laziest piece of commentary you'll ever see labelled to a midfielder. Hear it about Paul Pogba every second week. That was the dead set. That is the epitome of a midfielder grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck. Well, that, that's why I look back. And sometimes it's performances like that and players like Roy Keane, which I feel so unfortunate for our current players, Whether especially in the Paul Pogba category. Paul, he gets criticised for not being Roy Keane and not giving a performance like that in Turin. I just think okay, that's, it's nothing I can criticise a player for. I can't criticise you for not being as good as Roy Keane. That's just normal. There's some players aren't. and Some players can't put in a performance like that. I'm not saying Paul Pogba can't, but we shouldn't be criticising him when he doesn't. I just think all you can do is praise Roy Keane. Well, we'll move on. I'll just quickly go to Josh in regards to that season. Obviously, the final, there's nothing to discuss re- regards Roy Keane and the final because he obviously wasn't playing. There's a famous image of him and Scholes um, lifting the trophy in their suits. They, they didn't do the John Terry and go into the full kit sort of thing. But how much of a shame looking back at his career, and you, I've rattled off the honours at the start, and he's got this illustrious career, and he does have that Champions League title, especially in my eyes he does, but in Roy Keane's eyes, he and again, I don't know if this is him playing up to some type of character or it's how he truly believes. I'm not quite sure. But he almost doesn't really value that Champions League medal. Like he, he says he has softened a little bit and he has come around. To, yes, I still have my medal. But how do you view looking back at his career in terms of do you see him as a Champions League winner or it's one, oh, it's unfortunate, he didn't play in the final. He never, he sort of never had that opportunity. I see him. I see him as a winner personally. I see him as a big part of that season, especially mm. that's probably my earliest memories of watching United was the treble season. Probably because it was the treble season. I know I went to games before that, but I just seem to recall that being my earliest memories. And I remember some key games he played in um, that season that really stand out. Obviously the Turin one. Then I, I look back to um, I look back to the FA Cup semi-final first leg where he had that goal disallowed. In the mm. FA Cup, do you remember that one? Yeah, well, there would have been no replay, no Ryan Giggs goal if yeah. um, it was allowed. 
the game against Nottingham Forest, I think we won 3 0 at Old Trafford. I seem to remember just some standout performances uh, from Keno. He was a huge part of that season. And I think it was just in his character, and it's probably the same as Skulls' character, really. He just didn't feel like a part of that 99 team. So it felt like a bit of like, especially if you look at Skulls in 2008, it seemed like a bit of like rejuvenation that it was written for him to score the goal in the semi final and then get, you know, as Fergie famously said, you're the first name on that team sheet for the 2008 final. It felt like a little it's bit of unfinished business for Keno. Never thought of it like that. Yeah. Really good. Same, but, but then Keno sort of had his ramification. You you see in um, 2000 or 2001, 2002, whenever it was, when we, um, when we were shocking in the league, but we had a fantastic European campaign and Keno again scores the goal to take us into the Champions League. Um, well, one foot into the Champions League final, and obviously Leverkusen equalised. Yeah, well, the own goal, I um, remember that own goal against Real Madrid, but just on the 2002 sort of season, not the season, it was obviously the end of the season, the World Cup, and obviously wearing the Irish shirt here. But um, such he obviously did play in the 94 World Cup, but the 2002 World Cup was a World Cup I really remember. And I was devastated. I remember I was here at the time and had Irish family come out. Um, they were travelling, and I remember watching the World Cup, and Korea-Japan was such a great time. World Cup-wise for Sydney because kickoffs were at th- 3 o'clock when you got home from school, um, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock and 8 o'clock sort of thing. They were the ideal kickoff times. And Ireland did have a great World Cup um, in terms of it got a very good draw against um, Germany with Robbie Keane scoring, beat Saudi Arabia, had a cracking match against Spain type thing. But Roy Keane wasn't there. And we won't go into the ins and outs of what happened. It's, it's a very long story with so many details and so many sides to the argument with um, sort of how he went home and sort of how things sort of unfolded. But Larry, um, looking back, okay, you did that '94 World Cup, but in terms of that 2002 World Cup and sort of the fallout and what people, sort of especially in Ireland, again, both sides of the fence, are you a Roy Keane fan or Roy Keane hater? Um, but people sort of really did have strong opinions on both sides of the, the fence. Just your things, your feeling towards. What did he do? Did he abandon his country or did he do the right thing by standing up for his sort of principles? Um, just your general thoughts on what happened in terms of the fallout it's a really difficult one to comment on like if you're an irishman which you pretend or claim to be tom um i think you you'll have every right to feel aggrieved because that is without any doubt your best football player um and you know what i was just thinking about it now like you think of some of the players like your jack Grealishes, your declan rice there are some players who have had some an opportunity to play for ireland who turned their back and played for England, man, Roy Keane would be spinning at them. But it's a difficult one. I can understand why a fan would be aggrieved. But at the end of the day, I think Roy Keane was well within his rights to withdraw. And to be honest, again, like he was sort of put into a position where he was always going to be made to be the scapegoat. Put yourself in Roy Keane's shoes for a minute. You're going to play in a World Cup. You know you're not going to progress. You're the best player. So the country is naturally putting all its hope on you. And when you inevitably whimper out, all the blame goes on you. There was literally nothing for him to benefit from. So uh, I can't criticise the player, but I also can't criticise a, a fan for saying, you know, a lack of patriot, uh, patriotism or whatever argument they had. Yeah. No, well, going on, obviously came back to United and obviously in the middle of winning three titles in a row, obviously off the, off the treble, then 2000, 2001, 2002. So it was a very successful time for Roy Keane, almost prime Roy Keane if you go back in that sort of mould. But obviously he had huge contractual dramas at the time. Um, 
we all look at now the Paul Pogba situation and we crucify Paul Pogba for sort of stalling on a deal and flirting with other clubs. And, okay, this played out 20 years ago, so Twitter and the news wasn't reported in the same way it is now. But we look at Roy Keane, we look at this sort of ultimate picture of professionalism and club loyalty. However, if you do look at the facts and look back, he was flirting with other clubs. He agreed deals with Bayern Munich and Juventus. He was ready to go. Like Maybe not agreed deals, but the deals were there to be done. And he's saying, okay, if I want to, I can go play for one of those clubs. And he was flirting with other clubs. He was not holding the club to ransom, but he obviously was, in the in the, the way that term is used, holding Man United to ransom at, at times. And I just think, are we painting the wrong picture of Roy Keane in terms of this ultimate professional, or it's just one of those things where it happens with every single player? Um, just your thoughts, Josh. It's a, it's a difficult one, Re- really difficult one. Because I remember at the time, everyone pretty much sided with Keane. It was just like, mm. you know, give him, give him the contract, you know, what you what you playing at. But then if you think about it like now, if you reflect on it a little bit, you're probably thinking like, he was getting to an age where he wasn't in the early stages of his career, is he really? He's sort of petering out into, you know, what, the last three, four years of his career, five years, you know, pushing it. And you're probably looking at like, what have United got coming through? Have we got anyone ready to be his replacement? No, not really. You've got Skulls that's regularly playing with a different type of player. I think if Carrick, if Carrick was maybe three years older, four years older, probably would have, wouldn't have bit as easy. Well, I'll just quickly, before we move on, I'll just go to Larry in terms of, do you think the only difference, because you compare the two, on it's a weird comparison, but they, they do sort of turn up in terms of Paul Pogba and Roy Keane. We don't, we don't crucify Roy Keane for what he did, and I, I have no reason to do so. But with Paul Pogba, we sit here and say, sign the contract. If you don't want to be here, get out. And it's sort of holding the club up. And you just have to see how it's played out in the media. Do you think it just comes back, we treat Paul Pogba like that because he hasn't delivered like Roy Keane did? Roy Keane was afforded that sort of patience with United fans because he was performing on the pitch. And ultimately, United were successful. It was off the back of three Premier League titles and a treble type thing. Do you think that is the only difference? Or do you think there is something different, whether it be more sinister with Paul Pogba or just as a sign of the times? Um, I think there's multiple reasons to it. If Roy Keane left Manchester United in 2002, I don't think anyone would have said he's not a legend for the club. His his legacy was already cemented. I think that's the point. He had won the Premier League on multiple occasions, obviously captain, being captain of the treble. And not enough is mentioned about that, by the way. Perhaps it's because he's not played in the final, but he is ultimately the captain that is part of the only side to ever win the treble. So... Something should be said about that. His legacy was cemented. He was always going to go down as a legend. I think with the if you're going to you know compare it to the Paul Pogba situation, Roy Keane's within his rights to flirt. And I don't know about you guys, but if I was a professional footballer, as much as I love Manchester United, you'd be nuts not to flirt with other clubs. Know your worth on the market. Your footballing career is only so long. You got to maximize your your earning potential. So no criticism from Roy Keane there. And you know what? I actually would want to ask both of you. Do you think if if it was up to Fergie at that point and there was that option, if you like, to get a player to, go, to do Roy Keane's job, do you think he would have let him go earlier on than he eventually did? Well, I'll, I'll let Josh answer, but before I do that, I think Fergie's, again, it's hard on who is that player, but 
Ferguson, there was evidence to say that he would. Like you look back at the class of 92 and how they were introduced in 1996, where he got rid of the likes of Vince Kanchelskis and Mark Hughes. So, yes, Roy Keane is a different situation, but really when you're looking at it, it kind of is the same situation. I don't think Roy, I don't think Alex Ferguson would have at the time, but evidence suggests if he did have that option, he did have that sort of foresight, he, he would have had no sort of hesitation in pulling the trigger. Your thoughts, Josh? I completely agree with you, yeah. I just don't think, I don't think there was anyone really at the time to slot in. And I always have that little image in my head. I don't know if you've read Alex Ferguson's book. Uh, it was actually his leadership book. And he's got like an appendix at the back where it sort of talks about their transfer strategy. So they look at who they've got, who they've got in a youth team, who's that one player that's ready to slot into that position of the existing player, and also who's on the market that they could feasibly buy. And you look at that image of Keane in, what, 2002 to 2004, and you're thinking, who is there realistically that they're going to buy that's going to come to United? Because let's face it, they they flirted with with Gerrard maybe a little bit later in his career. That that was never going to happen. You're not going to really, you're not going to get a Lampard that's, that's, you know, only recently just gone to Chelsea, what was it, like 2001 time, 2002. There was no one really at that time, especially if you look at it from an international perspective as well, the players that you're looking for, probably not really going to move. Hmm. Yeah, but probably one was maybe Lampard, maybe in his West Ham days, if you get him before he went to Chelsea, maybe that was the option there. But, um, yeah, for both players, I think it worked out best in all case scenario. But Roy... um, Keane's last in memory, not last in memory of mine, but my last memory of Roy Keane before he um, ultimately did leave for Celtic. Again, he's got these iconic images. He's got his header against Juventus. He's got the tackle against Haaland. But I think the one that does stand out and especially stands out on social media is the, which Larry mentioned earlier, the incident in the tunnel with Patrick Vieira. And I just remember, okay, some of the games where we lift trophies and finals or goals with, sort of games with great goals, they do stand out. But I always look back, my favourite ever football match, I think, was the 4-2 at Highbury against Arsenal. I remember it was a morning kickoff here in Sydney and um, I remember it must have been 5am kickoff and watched the game and we're on such a high... Uh, Mum and Dad let me have the day off school and I just kept re-watching the match all day. They had the John O'Shea chip, they had Ronaldo and Thierry Henry. There was just so much drama. They had Silvestre headbutt in um, Freddie Umberg or Dennis Burkamp, I forget. So many iconic moments. A, a young Wayne Rooney who was sort of always trolling Robert Pires throughout the match, but obviously you had the iconic battle of Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira. So I'll just go to Larry in terms of that image of Roy Keane and Vieira, which you mentioned a little bit before, but just how much does that sum up Roy Keane? Because Patrick Vieira was doing it from a from a stance of trying to sort of get in the head of United in, in terms of their weaker players, like physically weaker players like Gary Neville, etc. But from Roy Keane's point of view, it was nothing about that. Roy Keane was simply just about defending his own players. It wasn't about getting one up on the opposition. It was just about, wanna, he's, he's my player, we're going to defend him. Yeah, it does sum up Roy Keane in many ways because, you know what, put it this way, all right? We all know who Roy Keane is. Picture yourself as someone who's watching a football match for the first ever time and that's what the image you see. Like, what are your thoughts thinking of? Um, man, who's this? Who's this bastard? Is he scary? Looks like he's gonna kill someone. Like that. That's the image. That's what. That's the perspective I look at it from. It's if I was turning on my my TV for the first ever time to watch my first ever football match, and I see Roy Keane like that, I'm thinking, man, this guy's a badass. He's gonna go out onto that pitch. He's gonna kill someone. You know, and and I think that epitomizes what he was as a leader. 
because like just I I just imagine you know I, I play park football you know I'm not good enough to play an elite level God knows but when you when I think of the opportunity to play with a player like just imagine standing behind Roy Keane in that tunnel when you see Vieira yeah. mouthing off and carrying on and you've got other players carrying on and trying to pick on your younger players and you got your leader standing up there why don't you pick on me you know what I mean if like if you're Gary Neville if you're one of the smaller players in that bit you're you're a young Wayne Rooney you're feeling 10 feet tall at that point you know what I mean yeah, no, like I, I feel inspired just talking about it Oh, yeah, no, definitely so many games. And often the discussion is sort of pointed at United, that United at Old Trafford won the game in the tunnel sort of thing in terms of the, the opposition was sort of had that fear going to Old Trafford. But games like that do happen in terms of especially hybrid. It is a tight tunnel type thing and it does fire mm. players up, um, whether it has a positive impact or a negative impact. Obviously, you don't get the answer till 90 minutes later. But also, it was a weird start because we do remember that as an iconic moment and Roy Keane having a good performance and a fantastic win for United. It all went sort of sour from the get-go. Patrick Vieira was the one who scored first and put Arsenal 1-0 up, and you think it could have been a very different story and would have very different memories of that tunnel incident if it was, say, 1-0 and Patrick Vieira wins it. It would be a very different story and would look at it um, completely different. But um, thank God it did turn out well with John O'Shea um, with his chip over Almunia. We'll just move into his exit from the club to finish off the podcast. Um, it's a weird one because they're almost like your parent. It's like when you see your mum and dad fight and you don't want to see it. When Sir Alex Ferguson and Roy Keane were fighting, it, it was hard because you don't want to pick sides, but you kind of have to pick sides. You don't really want to. And it's just a shame how it did play out, Josh, because it, it didn't just finish there. Okay, they finished and Roy Keane had to leave the club. You think, okay, surely draw a line under the sand there. But it's continuing on 15, 20 years later. I'm just seeing your thoughts on... Is it just something you can accept? It's just two professionals, two adults who just don't get along now and that's life? Or can you can you sort of find it hard to separate yourself as a fan and really think it's disappointing to see two people you love sort of really fall out? I think probably the latter really, isn't it? We've all come to accept it. And I don't think any of our respect for the two individuals has gone down or up because of it. It's sort of, you know, remained the same. I think I think what's what's annoying is the fact that the players that Keane criticised in that defeat, and it was a shocking defeat to Middlesbrough. I remember the game, it was it was piss poor. Um, they all come out and say, you know what, we didn't take it offensively. We didn't take it offensively at the time. It was sort of just his way of saying, you know, tr- you know, trying to get the best out of us. Where I think Fergie obviously took it as, you know, a question of his management, a question of, you know, Keane's authority over the wider team. And it... It ends obviously Pete Tong ends in you know ends really bad. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, um, it was speak. Unfortunately, the late Liam Miller was here a few years ago, and we spoke to Liam Miller about it. We had an event at the Supporters Club, and he's saying he wasn't there at the time, but he, he sort of did see he did sort of see the video at a later stage. They, they, did, they did kind of show him sort of what what was said. He said, "Yeah, it was honest. No one had an issue. Maybe personally, you think, geez, what do you say that for?" But from a professional point of view, no one really did have an issue. So, as I said, it is a shame. But he obviously did go on to have a managerial career after he left. You know, he obviously went to Celtic and had an up and down time at Celtic, but then obviously retired and had that managerial career and sort of did well with Sunderland at a stage. And did he get them promoted? Was he the manager in charge when they got promoted? Yeah, so he took he took Sunderland. Um, I think he, he got appointed in November. They were bottom of the league. Well, I think they were in the relegation zone and then they won the league that year in the championship. Got promoted. Mm. Um, I think he had like he had like all his managerial careers. I think he's had like 
at least a 40% win record, a win mm. rate, which isn't bad, really. There was always I mean, a mention. Of the party run club as well. That's not bad. Well, there was always a mention of Roy Kent, and obviously with that promotion and doing the, his initial job with Sunderland was a good one. But in terms of your memories, Larry, in terms of we look at elite managers and no one, and rightly so, no one has Roy Keane in that bracket. But there was always mentions of a future Man United role for him. Obviously, when no one knew when Stralix Ferguson was going to leave at that stage, but I was thinking, okay, in 10 years when Stralix isn't here, everyone, Roy Keane's our next manager. Was that just pure romanticism or was there was there something in his, maybe not what he was showing, but was there potential in his potential as a manager in terms of what he we all know that he does bring? I don't think there was anything in his potential. Like, look, don't get me wrong. I love Roy Keane to death, but I just, even at Sunderland, like even with that early success, I think with a personality type like that, now playing with someone like that is one thing. Motivating a group of players to do it when you're the manager and you're not the one actually on the pitch doing it is another. And I think that sort of, that level of accountability and you can just imagine him as a manager and you know what he is not, he wouldn't be ruthless. He'd have an emotional side to him. And I'm sure there were moments where he put his arm around a, a player. Undoubtedly he's not insensitive or lacking of emotion. He's not a robot. He is a human being at the end of the day. I think it's just something that he obviously likes to keep private. And Roy Keane's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing when the camera is in front of his face. But in saying that, the player he was on the pitch and the way he spoke off the pitch talks to you about the personality of the guy. I just think as a manager, you could be so tactically astute. You know what? I don't think it is the craziest thing to compare him to a Jose Mourinho personality type. I think they are very similar and in the sense of they both demand 110% out of their players. And you see it with Mourinho now. Everywhere he goes, it lasts at best for a two to three year period. After that, He's offside with half the playing group. And I think with Roy Keane, it, it was gonna be always it was always gonna be like that, unfortunately. Well, George has just put a comment up here, and it's a good way to sort of wrap up the podcast in regards to my last point. But he says Keane's press conference as a United manager would be brilliant, even if it was just for a season. Um so I just want to go into his punditry in terms of I'll put your boys on the spot if you can think of a favorite sort of line because he has so many great lines over the years since he's been working on Sky. I know ITV he's been on, etc. So before I go to Josh, the one that really does stick out in my mind, it was, it was only recently, it was behind closed doors at Old Trafford, so it must have been last season. So I forget what the game was, but he's talking, um, Gary Neville's with him, and I think Mika Richards is there. And he was discussing in regards to players shouldn't need a break. If you're fit, they should be playing every single week. The team should pick itself, and Solskjaer shouldn't be really rotating. It should be players should make themselves almost undroppable. And Roy Keane said, well, back in my time, I made myself undroppable. I was playing every single week. Sir Alex had to pick the same team. Maybe you can drop one or two players here or there. And he pointed to Gary Neville. You could rest a Gary Neville sort of thing. And Gary Neville came back and said, I was a stalwart at right back. And Keane, quick as anything, comes back and says, you were the only right back at the club. And I think it just summed Roy Keane up so well because, one, it was quick, it was funny. But then you actually do look back and you think, well, yeah, he was the only right back at the club. It was actually true. So Roy Keane is so smart and so clever and, and witty in terms of the way he does sort of come out with these lines because they play up again to, I don't want to say character, which I've used, but they do play up to the personality, the public personality we see of Roy Keane. But they're obviously, when you see something so natural, it's who the person is, it's who, who he is. Crazy. My, my favorite, my, I've got two favorites. So my first favorite was at the start of uh, Project Restart. And we, uh, we draw that game to Spurs in the first game and he, he oh. absolutely goes in and Harry McRae. And then a 
crash it about six months later. He goes, I was a bit harsh on that. (laughs) (laughs) And my actual favourite one was when he was manager at Sunderland. And he he tells a story about how he tried to sign Robbie Savage. And then Robbie Robbie Savage's answer was from that Budweiser commercial. Do you remember where he used to go, what's up? He goes, I just hung. He said, I really needed a striker, but didn't really need one that much and hung up. Well, Mike's put a comment up here saying the exact same one for you. Great line about swinging punches at De Gea and making him catch the bus to Manchester. And now he obviously sort of retracting that statement of, statement a few months later. But, Larry, is there any ones that um, stick out to you in terms of things that pop out? I'll tell you what, he wouldn't be able to do that to Peter Schmeichel. I think that, I think it ends up in a boxing match if he ever tried to do that to Well, they, well, they the did have a boxing Dave, match um, Schmeichel. Hey? They did have a boxing match in a hotel, him and yeah, Schmeichel. Yeah, Oh, yeah, I could imagine that. Who do you think won that, by the way? Um, there's two sides to the story. Um, you can imagine that. Schmeichel was confident in his victory. Yeah. Keane was confident in his. But I think, yeah, Schmeichel, just from a physically point of view, maybe just got a hold of Roy Keane. Um, yeah, well, he had to use his hands him. a lot more than Roy Keane did. If it was an MMA match, though, I'd back Keane to put his studs into him. Um, oh, Roy Keane, favourite favorite bit of... Punditry. You know what? I can actually think back. I think it was um, in the season that just passed. There, there was a piece with um, Tim Cahill. And um, I, I can't remember exactly what the topic was, but Roy Keane has almost become infamous for saying, do us a favor. Mm. Well, they were saying, yes. Tim Cahill yeah, was obviously teammate, he was teammates with Arteta. So it was obviously back in Arteta's yes, corner. Yes, that's what it was about. But he was saying that Arteta was showing more of a vision at Arsenal compared to what Solskjaer was doing at United. And it became an Arteta v. Oli debate. So it is good to look back or sort of a year in advance. Well, Solskjaer's mm-hmm. finished second. Ars- Arteta's taken Arsenal to, I don't know where, they're not even in the conference league, so I don't know where he's taken them. But yeah, Roy Keane has won that debate so far, but it, it was good to see him go head-to-head with Tim Cahill. Do you, actually, do you remember Josh um, a collision once at Man United v Everton at Old Trafford? Tim Cahill went up for a header and Roy Keane just lined him up from 10 metres away, came in and Look, a, a fair challenge, but Tim, it's, it gives away a foul for knocking him over. But my God, you've never seen someone like Tim Cahill just get knocked off. Tim Cahill was a physical player. But Tim Cahill got up and looked a broken man. He thought, oh, my God, I'm, I've got to stand up to Roy Keane now. And Roy Keane, just the way he looked at him, um, you've never seen a player like Tim Cahill, who was so confident, look so inferior on a football pitch. Um, if anyone goes on YouTube, just type in Tim Cahill, Roy Keane, um, I don't know, head clash or header sort of thing or challenge. Um, it's a great challenge by Roy Keane. About 20, 25-minute YouTube videos of his greatest uh, comments. It's, I could watch them all day. They're so good. Yeah, no, he's a very good Wouldn't value. Ho- or something else. They're just so different. It's so funny. Well, hopefully everyone enjoyed that podcast because here in Sydney, Friday night, um, we are in lockdown. So we had the options of watching, I have no idea what's on TV, or discussing United. So we thought we might as well, especially from my opinion, discuss my favourite player of all time, um, which does bring a smile to my face in terms of trying to cure this boredom of lockdown. Show us a smile, um, Tom. You're saying it brings a smile to your face. I mean, come on. Show us the pearly whites. I'm having a look at you. It's, a, it's, it's been a challenge after a couple of days. Um, I've had sort of good guests in terms of Rob, Josh, Param, Vin. Um, it, it's a challenge watching you, but you have done well. Um, have you finished the glass of wine? Oh, I gotta say, I think I might, I might make that a regular. You know, drinking the wine while being on this podcast has just made it that ten times more enjoyable. It is well, a hopefully everyone's going to not drinking. Well, it's not essential. Well, I haven't got his glass of water because he's I'm a just player, tap water. You know? I'm not like you guys who are going and saying the bottle shop is essential shopping. I'm, I'm trying to do my bit for the community. Tom, it is essential shopping. I need it to stay sane. 
But time will tell. Well, my suburb now is in complete lockdown. I'm not about to leave the suburb, so it'll be interesting to see how the next couple of weeks go. But um, until then, actually, I think my mum was watching, or she was tuning. I'll just get my dog, who she wants to see on camera, because obviously in lockdown she hasn't seen for a while. So um, I'll just throw him up here. He's been a while because everyone's in lockdown, so I'll throw him up there. He needs a haircut. But um, as I said, hopefully everyone did enjoy the video. Make sure you do like the video, please. And if you're not subscribed, please subscribe because all our videos will be um, live content so you can join in the discussion. And just one more comment here from Mike saying thanks to the podcast. Guys in lockdown here in Adelaide. Yeah, well, Adelaide's copping as well. So hopefully, Mike, you are doing well. And we will try and do more content like this in terms of just trying to, again, cure the boredom. And, um, yeah, Larry, if you can send over, not that I drink wine, but maybe you can send a bottle of wine over and, I'll give it to my wife, keep her in the good books. Yeah, mate. A bottle of Shiraz coming your way. No worries. No doubt. And Josh, very good seeing you again. And I'm sure we'll have you on again soon to chat some more United. Hopefully again, like I said at the start of the podcast, maybe Sancho and Varane update next week. Then next hopefully week we'll be saying next week. Well, as I said, hopefully everyone did enjoy that and keep safe over the weekend. And I'm sure we'll be online again soon. So have a good one, guys. Bye.